Today and next week, we're actually taking a little break from what we typically would be doing. Typically, we would be going book by book, verse by verse, through the scriptures. But with next week being Easter, I thought it would be important to slow down and look at the significance of what happened a week earlier. Typically, today we refer to as Palm Sunday. Now, for many of us, we're familiar with that, so hopefully the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit will be illuminated afresh to you today. We're going to be looking at a sermon titled, Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do, or if you have a bulletin with the scriptures inside of it, you can rise to your feet for the honoring of the public reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 21. As you're rising on your feet, I will pray this morning that God illuminates this word. Father, we thank you for what we hold in our hands. You have given us the Holy Scriptures, that we come together to study truth and not the opinion of man. God, you've also granted your Holy Spirit to illuminate and teach us and direct us into all truth. God, we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us this morning. Continue to draw us unto Christ. We pray that you would be exalted in this place this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So reads God's holy and errant and infallible word. Church, please be seated. I'm going to guess this is not our first time through this passage before. I'm going to guess we're very familiar with this passage. Many of us know this is often referred to as the triumphal entry of Christ. This moment kicks off eight days of momentous events. And it concludes with Jesus' bloody murder upon the cross. And right after that ends with the glorious resurrection of Christ from the dead. You know, it's interesting as you study the Bible and you go through, you will see this event recorded in all four 
Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include this in their Gospel. Even more interesting than that is how much time each of the Gospel writers wrote about this final week of the life of Christ. You see, Jesus lived for 33 years on earth. The last three years was his active ministry. He was engaged in ministry for three years. Lots of events. But even though all that activity happened over those three years of ministry, the gospel writers chose to hone in on this final week of Christ. The book of Matthew devoted one quarter of that gospel to this final week. The book of Mark devoted one-third of that gospel to this final week. The book of Luke devoted one-fifth. But when we talk about the gospels, many of us kind of go over and say, man, I really love John. I really love the gospel of John. Well, guess what, church? John devoted half of his gospel to the last week. That's what he was looking at. There's something glorious in this last week. If we put all the Gospels together, all the content, one-third of all that was written about who Christ is, about what he has done, was recorded about this final week of his life. So why so much attention to the last week? I want you to think about this. Have you ever wondered when you're reading through the Gospels and you read about Jesus go and he performs a miracle and he tells the person, go and tell no one? What? Why is that? Go and tell no one, Jesus was waiting for this final week. This was the week that he will be revealed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus has come to Jerusalem this week for the Passover. He himself to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. This is what the stage is set for. This is what begins. It is estimated from a census that was taken that there were around 2 million people in Jerusalem during this time. That's a lot of people from all over Israel that would come to Jerusalem. Those of you that don't like crowds, well, guess what? Disneyland had nothing on that. It was a crowded space. People had come to worship. They came to celebrate and honor the Passover together. So the stage is set for Christ's glorious entry. There wouldn't just be a small sect of witnesses. This would be witnessed by multitudes of people. Most of Israel would be there to see, to hear, to witness the events of this week. We're going to look at how this week began with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But just as a reminder, that week went on where Jesus had a second cleansing of the temple. He had a final teaching. He instituted the Lord's Supper. He was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified. But it ended, as we'll study next week, with his glorious resurrection from the dead. As we study Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, we're going to cover four points this morning. So if you're taking notes, the four points we will look at this morning, point number one, look to Jesus, the one who knows everything. Point number two, look to Jesus, the one whom the scriptures foretold. Three, look to Jesus, the humble king who brings peace. And finally, point number four, look 
to Jesus, the one whom you must listen. Look to Jesus. That's what I want you to keep in mind this morning as we go through this text. Look to Jesus. Starting with point number one, look to Jesus, the one who knows everything. Let's look at our text this morning back in Matthew chapter 21, the first few verses, one through three. Jesus comes near Jerusalem. He comes to a city near the Mount of Olives, and he sends out two of his disciples, and he tells them, go into the village in front of you. And he tells them immediately, you're going to find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And in verse 3 he says, but if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, if you've read all the Gospels together, you know that each Gospel writer has their own perspective, what they saw, what they thought was important to write down and record. Not that it was a different event, the same event, but if you and I went to an event together, certain things would stand out to us, and we would record certain things. But as Jesus said, if anyone says anything, let them know the Lord needs them. The other Gospel writers record, people did say something. We see in Mark chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing and tying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Just think about that for a second. Okay. Luke chapter 19, verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? So they were challenged. And yet the Lord has need of them. Okay, I have a question. How did Jesus know all that was about to play out? He knows everything. He knows everything. Although he's fully man, he's also fully God. He's fully God. As God, he's omniscient. He knows everything. There is nothing, church, listen, there is nothing hidden from the Lord's eyes. There's nothing hidden. There are no secrets with him. Alone or in company of others, by day or by night, in private or in public, he is acquainted with all of our ways. All of our ways. We can go where we will, hide where we may, but we are never out of the sight of Christ. He knows everything. Jesus Christ looked to him, the one who knows everything. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. Look to Jesus, the one who knows everything. Church, do you realize he knows your struggles? He knows your challenges. He knows your pains. He knows your weaknesses. He knows everything. He knows when you're desiring to flee off and run off. He knows when you're grieving. He knows every aspect about you. Nobody knows you better. He knows everything. Point number two this morning is look to Jesus, the one whom the scriptures foretold. You ever had someone say to you as a Christian, hey, you've got this blind faith in Jesus. You know, it's not that blind. Yes, we walk by faith, not by sight. But the scriptures foretold of the coming Messiah. 
And the one who fulfilled all of that was Jesus Christ. We see in verses 4 and 5 of our text this morning, talking about Jesus going and sending his disciples for the colt that he would ride in on. It says this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's from Zechariah 9, 9, which was written 500 years or more before this ever occurred. Prophesied about the coming Messiah. You know, if you're going to look to somebody, church, as Savior, you better make sure they're able to save. There are so many people putting a hope and a trust in something that will not save them. I heard once Oprah Winfrey say, your God is whatever you love. If you love books, that's your God. If you love people, that's your God. Well, guess what? Books and people aren't able to save. There is one who is able to save. And that is Christ the Lord. The Holy Scriptures foretold exact details about Jesus being the Messiah, being Savior. From specific details about his birth all the way through his life to excuse me, specific details about his death. The Scriptures foretold Jesus Christ would be the Savior of the world. Every prophetic scripture about the coming Messiah points to one person, Jesus Christ. Every prophetic scripture about the coming Messiah is fulfilled or will be fulfilled in Christ. It all points to Christ, Jesus. When you look to Jesus, you do not look blindly. You look at the one whom scriptures foretold. Jesus speaking to the crowds in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. Again, a few verses later in John chapter 5, verse 46. He says, Jesus says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Keep that in mind. We're going to bring that up later, that same topic. Moses wrote about the coming prophet who would be like him, being Jesus Christ. Church, we're to look to Jesus, the one whom scriptures foretold. When someone challenges you with your blind faith in this Jesus that you say is going to save, you have something to stand firm on. Not only the faith through the power of the Spirit has given you a gift of faith, but you can stand firmly on God's word. Firmly on his word that Jesus was foretold to be the savior of the world. Looking at point number three this morning, we're to look to Jesus, the humble king who brings peace. Look to Jesus, the humble king who brings peace. Back in our text this morning, Matthew chapter 21, look with me at verses six through nine. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey, the colt, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them, being Jesus. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Get it? Hosanna means save now, save us now. Hosanna to who? To the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. Save us. Save us. Jesus rides into Jerusalem seated on the colt of a donkey. How did Jesus typically get around? Yeah. On his fingers. <laughs> he, he walked, right? He walked. Everywhere he went, he walked. This is different. He's entering Jerusalem as king. And when a king would come in, a king rode upon an animal. And there was one of two. One would be a horse. And when a king rode in on a horse, he was coming in bringing war. But when a king rode in on a donkey, he was coming in bringing peace. That was the symbolism as he came in, that he was coming to bring peace. What about all these branches? Well, what's that all about? We read in John chapter 12, verse 13, that these were palm branches. That's where we get Palm Sunday. It says, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That's what they said. Even the king of Israel. The people were welcoming in the king. There was a tradition that was very common to them to lay down palm branches for the king. It was a familiar tradition for Israel. Maybe we would equate it to something like laying down a red carpet for royalty, letting them come in. They laid down the palm branches. But the same is true for these garments that they would put under the king. It was symbolism of them submitting to his authority. We see this example of in 2 Kings when Jehu became king. In 2 Kings 9, 13, it says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Submitting, seeing the authority of the king. But they were chanting, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us. Save us now. And although this crowd was mistaken about how Christ would save them, he definitely came to save. As a side note, this same crowd, many of whom would say, Hosanna, save now, would later be in a crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, because of their misunderstanding of who he was as king. That the king was coming to save them, not from their present circumstances under Rome's rule, but to save them from sin. We'll talk about that more in a second. He came to save them from their wages of sin. The penalty, which is death. He was riding upon the colt of the donkey. He's bringing peace. You know what kind of peace they wanted? Peace with Rome. Church, I want you to put that in your own context. How often do we just want the here and now worked out? Fix this. And we lose an eternal mindset. 
we become so nearsighted that we lose the heavenly perspective that there is going to be a glorious appearing to us. That there are treasures that are being stored up for us who believe in heaven. But here, those who would cry out, Hosanna, were seeking peace from Rome's rule. But far greater than any need for peace from Rome's rule, they needed peace from God. They needed peace with God. Romans 5, church, says that in sin we are enemies of God. You guys hear that? How many people think they're not that bad? I don't sin like that guy or I don't sin like that gal. I'm not that bad. Scripture says, no, actually, your sin is that bad. That you're an enemy of God. And that's why it's so important for the king to come and he make peace between you and God. Romans 5 says, for those who have looked to Jesus, who have placed their faith in him, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we need to look to Jesus. How often do we look at other circumstances? How often do we look to other things that are going to help us look to Jesus? Jesus, a humble king who brings peace. We're going to put all this together as we look at the final piece of Matthew chapter 21 in verses 10 through 11. Point number four is look to Jesus, the one whom you must listen. The one whom you must listen. We see at the end of our passage this morning, it says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What had the crowds just been shouting? They had just been shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they come into the city and the crowds come around and they go, who is this? This is the stage. This is where everybody's looking on. It says as Jesus came in, the whole city was stirred up. I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail, but doesn't that still happen today? When Jesus is brought up, people get stirred up. Just the name of Christ will stir up a crowd. Jesus comes in. There's this crowd following him. They're chanting Hosanna. And all the multitudes come out and say, who is this? You see, all of Israel is looking at Jesus at this point. And they want to know, who is he? I want to take you back to a miracle that he performed. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? After he performed that miracle, Scripture records the following. In John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus had just fed 5,000 with leftovers, plenty of leftovers. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why? Waiting for this perfect time in history. When millions of Jews would be in Jerusalem and he comes in and presents himself as king. 
Yet they ask, who is this? And they say, he is the prophet. He is the prophet. Now is the time for him to be exposed. He is the coming one. The Jews had been waiting for the coming prophet who would be like Moses and save God's people, but this time once and for all. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, son of David, from your brothers. And look what Moses writes. It is, or excuse me, yeah, it is to him you shall listen. And guess what? That's fulfilled. Christ has come into Jerusalem. The crowds are there. Who is this? This is the prophet. This is the one whom we waited for. He is the one whom we must listen. Remember Jesus coming to bring peace. But unfortunately, the crowd wanted a different kind of peace. And the same is true today. So many people just want to get out of their circumstances. If I can only get out of this relationship, if I can only get out of this job, if I can only get out of this burden, whatever it might be, then things will be good. Church, if that's the only peace you ever experience and you don't have a peace with God, you have nothing. If you go your entire life spent in this life and have peace, and yet when judgment comes, there is no peace with God, there's nothing you can give in exchange for your soul. Jesus came to bring the peace that we need, that they needed. Peace between sinful men and a holy God. You see, there's no other way. There's no other route. There's no other option. Jesus is the only way. He said of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. They said, oh, wow. Well, for those of us who are believing that glorious truth, we say, praise God. For those of us who are skeptical, we go, oh, yeah, sure. He's so exclusive to himself. What makes him so great and mighty? For one, he is God. But two, he took on flesh so that he could die in our place and take the full wrath of God in our place so that we can be set free, so that we can have peace with God. That's why he's the way. No one else. Jesus comes during the Passover when I think the census said about 260,000 lambs were sold to be slain for the people. Jesus comes as one who would be sacrificed once and for all for the sins of all mankind. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, he is the door. He is the way to get there, the only way. There is no other way that anyone can be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. We realize that we must look to Jesus. 
at all times, look to Jesus. No matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on, look to Jesus. But especially when it comes to salvation and peace with God, look only to Jesus. There is no other way. Look to Jesus. You know, I was watching yesterday, some of you watch college basketball right now, it was March Madness, the tournament going on. So I was watching the game yesterday, and after this team, uh, Loyola, University of Chicago won, they have the commentators on there. One of them is Charles Barkley. Some of you are familiar with Charles Barkley, former NBA player. And Charles Barkley said something that so grieved me as I was watching this. They're talking about Loyola University of Chicago at the Catholic school. And Charles Barkley says, I'm going to be careful what I say about them. I only have a 20-80 chance of getting through the pearly gates. 20% of being my chance of getting in. That's what he said. And the other commentator tried to encourage him. Oh, no, you're better than that. You got more chance than that. And he's like, okay, maybe 21. Where does he get that from? This is so sad, the mentality, that there might be another way. There might be another option. The reality is that Charles Barkley has 0% chance of getting to heaven without repenting and looking to Jesus. Without placing his trust, his faith in Christ alone, there is no chance. So where does he get his 20% from? Maybe he's done something good with his money, even though it's probably a tax write-off as well. Maybe he's gone to some great charitable need and given lots of money and says, well, maybe that will give me a chance. Maybe that will go into my account and bring up my percentage of getting into heaven. Or perhaps he has some religious duties that he does. And he thinks maybe that's going to increase my chance of getting into heaven. Church, none of that will help him. None of that. He must look to Jesus. The one whom he must listen to. Jesus was very clear that we cannot work our way into heaven. He said, all that trying, all that work, all that laboring is in vain. It's a vain pursuit. But we're to look to him. We're to come to him. To those who are trying to be religious and thinking that their religion somehow is going to make their way into heaven. Jesus would say this, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Come to me. All who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Salvation alone in Christ. Christ says, look to me. Come to me. Go no other route. Don't try to work your way there. Come to me. We're to look to Jesus. We're to trust alone in Jesus. Because he alone can save. We're to look to Jesus. We're to follow him. It's for in him and in him alone do we find forgiveness of sins and freedom from sin. He came to forgive us, but also to break the bondage of sin. Only in Christ. We're to look to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes Away the sins of the world. For those of you here this morning, believers, and I'm looking around, many of us are just church family here this morning. Look to him at all times.
look to him all the time. Because we can so get caught up in all these other things that we forget. Look to Jesus. He's the answer to all things. You bummed out? You discouraged? Look to Jesus. He'll satisfy your soul. Are you fearful and scared? Look to Jesus. He'll say, fear not, I am with you. No matter what circumstance you are in in life, look to Jesus. If you are counting on anything else to get you into heaven, throw it to the wayside and look to Jesus. He is the only way. He has done it all. And as we'll study through this week and into next Sunday, when he died on that cross, you know Good Friday? You know what is often asked of me in public schools? Mr. Jewett, why is it Good Friday? Well, they know enough that Christ died that day. Why is that good? Anybody know why that's good? He died in your place. He took your penalty. He took my penalty. And not just took the penalty, but there was a transaction. He gave us his righteousness. That's good. But it wasn't cheap. It was costly. It was a bloody, gruesome murder of an innocent man who willingly obeyed his father so that you and I can have peace with God. Church, look to Jesus. And don't stop looking to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded of this glorious event. God, you have inspired the gospel writers to record so much of this week in history, of all that Christ went through in this Passion Week. And we look this morning and just seeing him coming in as the one whom all must look to, to look to Jesus. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place that has looked to anything else for security, for salvation, for hope, that this morning they would look to Jesus, that your spirit would draw them unto Christ. Father, I pray for us who have believed, who have repented and turned to Christ in faith, that, God, we would not be persuaded to draw our eyes anywhere else, but we would constantly look to Jesus. We would find our satisfaction in Jesus. We would find our hope in Jesus. We would find our comfort in Jesus. Our love in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, so much in our lives that can wreak havoc upon our hearts and our minds. God, help us to look to Jesus. That we would be strengthened in the faith. God, may you receive all the honor and glory for your great mercy. Mm -hmm. When we pray these things in Jesus' name.